0: February 16th, 1929, Beverly Hills, California. Ned Doheny, son of an oil tycoon, is visited by his personal secretary Hugh Plunkett at Doheny's massive and breathtaking mansion, known today as Greystone. After a few hours of conversing and drinking, two gunshots ring out through the mansion and both men are found dead the police were not immediately called. When they did show up, they would quickly conclude that this was a murder-suicide case closed. Over the years, rumors and speculation have led most to believe the murder-suicide was more than meets the eye. From no fingerprints found on the gun, the bodies being moved, gossip that this was a lover's quarrel gone wrong, not to mention that both men were in the middle of a political scandal. The deaths at Greystone Mansion is a case for the ages, and anyone who may have known the truth is probably long gone. This is a study of Strange. Well, welcome to the show. I'm Michael May, and joining me today is Scott Michaels of the Dearly Departed Tours. Uh, Scott, I don't know if you're even aware of this, but you actually are a little bit of like a local LA celebrity, because a lot of people have been such fans of your tours over the years. Were you aware of that? Am I incorrect in even calling you a local celebrity? <laughs>
1: well, I Well, I can say that um, people... It will come to me because I can string a sentence or two together, and I know a bit about Hollywood. So mm-hmm. I have become part of the landscape in Hollywood, uh, despite the fact that I'm no longer in it. But yeah, we—I I was around. I've done. I've been in the uh, dark tourism business for over 25 years, and I had my own museum. So I was at the forefront of all that stuff for sure
0: hmm. And is it specifically kind of like the dark side of Hollywood that intrigues you? Or is it just are you a fan of kind of mysteries and true crime in general? Like what got you into that?
1: Well, the stories I gravitate towards are people that I know a little bit about. Mm. Uh, I, I, I use the analogy like um, if I wanted to if I was walking past, say, a dead body, as you do, uh, I, I, you know, I wouldn't need to look. But if it was Marilyn Monroe, I'd want to look. It's sort of you need. I need that association, not just as a, you know, a, a reading a story just because of the murder. I want to know more about the people behind the murder. That's always been my. But I, I also am interested in a whole lot of different things. I always said it was a sort of a light-hearted look at the dark side of Hollywood.
0: Right, right. And because of that, you've gotten involved. I know you've worked on some movies and consulted on on some various projects and things. Do you want to talk a little bit about that at all, or, or kind of let people know where they might be able to see some of your work?
1: Sure. Well, uh, probably when Mike Dorsey and I, who was a mutual friend of ours, mm-hmm. uh, he reached out to me to make a documentary, and we put a couple, we put three together, actually, and the most well-known is called The Six Degrees of Helter Skelter, Mm -hmm. and uh, I've always been sort of, I hate when they say obsessed by, but I've always been very interested and studied the Tate-LaBianca murders, Mm -hmm. and Mike saw that in me, and between the the two of us, really, we put this thing together. Uh, and, and I had a tour devoted strictly to the Tate LaBianca murders called the Helter Skelter tour. Now that documentary got a lot of attention and it brought me to the attention of the people who produced the TV show Aquarius that was loosely based on the Mm -hmm. Tate LaBianca murders. And ultimately, uh, Quentin Tarantino saw the documentary and hired me to consult on Once Upon a Time in Hollywood with the history of the victims and the crimes themselves. Uh, Although the crimes weren't. I shouldn't say that. I want to be a spoiler, but he wanted to know more about the victims and their lives. Yes, yeah. And I was happy to provide those details.
0: Yes. Uh, and I know that he strived for a lot of authenticity and sort of the locations and the characters in that movie. And uh, it might be my favorite Tarantino movie. Honestly, it, I really like that movie.
1: I, yeah, I can't say I was a huge Tarantino fan. I liked his I liked his movies, but this one, of course, I have a a huge emotional attachment. Not just because of the involvement, but because I've studied those people for so many years, and to see them come to life and be happy and I, that was a real that was very moving. And and it was it was the closest I'd ever get to time travel.
0: Well, thank you so much for doing this show. The, I thought of you because of Mike Dorsey, who has been on my show before. Uh, everybody can listen to his Biggie Smalls episode. Um, but he, he and I talked a bit about Dearly Departed and I've listened to your podcast, the Dearly Departed podcast as well. And I was like, oh, you know, I should reach out to you if I'm doing a story that either takes place in Hollywood or LA or someone that basically finds somebody that has some knowledge about local you know, mysteries or murders or anything like that. And so today I, I am lucky to have enough to have you because we are covering the Greystone Mansion, the murder-suicide with E.L. Doheny's son, Ned. And this is a, it's just a strange story. And I first came across it because I used to go visit the Greystone Mansion in Beverly Hills because it's a park nowadays when I first moved to LA. And I would bring, whenever I had family visiting, I would take them to the Greystone Mansion just because it's beautiful. You get to walk around, you can bring some food and have a picnic and see the mansion in, in, in the grounds. And that's when I first learned of this story, which we'll we'll dive into here in a second. It is an odd one, and it does involve a political scandal. It involves lots of rumors and conjectures nowadays. And what I think I'm going to do to start us off is give a very brief synopsis of the murder suicide, like the night of the murder suicide, and then go back in time and kind of fill in some historical details and the who, what, when, where, how. All those kind of questions, and the reason I'm going to do that is because, as I was researching this story, there very much is a like commonly held story of what happened that night at the Greystone Mansion, and then when you research it, some of those details are actually incorrect. And listeners know that I, I love kind of like the common story and comparing it to something that has more detail. I don't want to say. Comparing it to the true story, because there still is uh, there's a chance of some cover up <laughs> in this mm-hmm. in this murder suicide. Um, so I am curious, and you've told me you know a little bit about this story. If I was to ask you, and I don't want to put you on the spot, so you don't have to do this, but if I was to say, could you explain what happened that night in 1929 on February? Uh, I can't find the date, but in 1929, could you like do a brief? Hey, here's what happened, or here's what I remember of the story.
1: <laughs> you're going to think I'm an asshole, but I can't I yeah, mean, that's my, what, as a tour guide, as a tour guide, you know, going by the place, uh, as most of them do. Well, actually most of them probably don't, but, uh, you would point out the mansion because of the movies that were filmed there. And, mm-hmm. and they would, they would say, uh, you know, and in 1920, they wouldn't even say 1929, but they would say, you know, the the Ned Doheny, who was the son of Doheny of the Teapot, Teapot Dome scandal, uh, was murdered by his boyfriend Hugh Plunkett, who then turned the gun on himself, and uh, so died in as a sort of lover spurned, I guess you would. say. Yes,
0: yes. Oh, that's perfect. I'm glad. I'm glad that's even your your brief synopsis. So yeah, I'll I'll kind of fill in a couple of little holes, and then I'll and then we'll start at the beginning and kind of do some history because we got to explore. E.L. Doheny, Ned's father, the Teapot Dome scandal, they all kind of connect in with this in really interesting ways. So, the characters of, of that murder suicide, you just mentioned Ned Doheny. He was 36 at the time of this. He worked for his father, a, a very prolific oil, oil man. I always kind of try to do the, the voice from <laughs> There Will Be Blood. And his kind of he, people refer to the, the other guy, his name's Hugh Plunkett, as Ned's personal secretary. Sometimes you read that
1: it's his chauffeur. Chauffeur. Yeah, that's the one I've heard the most.
0: He's actually just an old friend. They had been friends since they were like teenagers. And I would call him more of just a do it everything guy. Like he worked for his friend and would just do whatever he asked because that was his job. (laughs) Kind of like today, we'd probably call it like an executive assistant. You know, somebody that's running errands and doing anything that's asked of him. And... On the night of February 16th, 1929, Hugh Plunkett, the secretary, arrives at the Greystone mansion around 9.30 p.m. He had his own key. People knew him on the property, so he was able to get through the gate. He let himself in and went into a guest room in the East Wing. He called in sort of the internal communication of some kind, whether it be like an intercom system or a phone. He calls up to Ned Doheny and says, can you come talk to me? Ned comes down to the guest room they talk for a few hours and around 11 p.m. Lucy Ned's wife hears a gunshot and she's in the library and she doesn't call the cops she calls the family doctor a guy named Dr. Fishball Dr. Fishball comes he's you know 30 minutes or so later he arrives at the house and they head to the east wing where she heard the gunshot and there coming out of a door to the bedroom is Hugh Plunkett they see him holding a revolver He goes back into the room, slams the door. They hear a gunshot again. They enter the room and they find Ned Doheny shot. He's on the ground like he was in a chair when he was shot and he's toppled over. Blood is everywhere out of his head. There's uh, a whiskey glass next to his body. And Hugh Plunkett is sort of in the doorway to the bedroom, face first. Gun is underneath him. Cigarette in his left hand, which is actually burning his fingers after he got shot. And the cops are, don't come for like two or three hours because Lucy calls family members first. So family comes over and is tramp, tramp, sitting around the scene before cops ever show up. The cops show up and they kind of briefly just go "Yeah, murder, suicide. There you go. Bada bing, bada boom. Case closed. See you guys later. And that's where a lot of rumors and speculation and conjecture and all this kind of stuff come into play because the cops shut down the case very quickly. And we're dealing with the Dohenies, which are very rich and powerful. And this is in the midst of the Teapot Dome scandal, which again, I'll get into in a second. But there are some some rumors that uh, these two guys were killed because killed or killed each other or Hugh shot Ned or Ned shot Hugh. There's debate all around it because they were both having to testify to the, to the Senate uh, about the Teapot Dome scandal. So that's, again, the common story. And you even put it wisely as well. The rumor I always heard is that they were lovers and that had something to do with what happened that night. And as I said, I actually found some more information to this story that does put some of that into doubt and even the events of the night into doubt as well. Hmm. So, yeah, yeah, it's going to be fun. I'm glad I'm glad the the truth
1: ruin a good story, Mike. Honest to God. (laughs) Right. Well,
0: because. It's still really strange like it doesn't ruin the story because it really still could be any of these things and the the biggest question about this is why did the police. I think it was two days later that they just closed the case and there's evidence that the bodies were moved. There's strange things about gunpowder residue which I'll get into that was notated right away in the newspapers. And the cops still just closed the case super quick.
1: Do you know if it was – I know Beverly Hills has only been incorporated uh, about 102 years maybe. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I guess they would have had their own police department at that point. But it could have been very big because the DOE's owned so much of Beverly Hills at that point.
0: They did. They did. In fact, the mansion Greystone – it's the land it was built on, which today is, it's just, just north of Sunset Boulevard at Beverly Hills. And if people listening have not been to Beverly Hills, whatever you imagine the hills of Beverly Hills being, that is what it's like today. It's mansions and beautiful properties and movie stars and those kind of people. Um, but at that time, that the hills in that area were owned by the Dohenies and they used it as a ranch. They would hike there. They were red horses. There were no houses built. Sunset Boulevard was a dirt road at that point in time in that area. Um, and I'll, I'll give myself a little a little props here. Uh, if you want to know more about the history of Sunset Boulevard, watch Autobiography on Motor Trend TV with myself as we have an episode called Dead Man's <laughs> Curve, where we actually do talk about the history of Sunset Boulevard. So yeah, it was just fields and dirt and ranches. Beverly Hills was there. They did have their own police department, but it was very tiny. And most of the wealthy people in Los Angeles at the time lived kind of southwest of downtown, Brentwood, Beverly Hills. Those places were not developed; they weren't, you know, they they weren't what they are today. So that is a very that's a very good point, Scott.
1: I think they were just hunting off their balcony, (laughs) you know. I mean, I I wouldn't doubt it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, no, they they just were. I mean, it's they they had so much land; it wasn't even true. (laughs) Yeah,
0: yeah. All right. So to really understand. The depths of this mystery, we do have to start with Ned Doheny's father, E. L. Edward Lawrence Doheny. He was an oil man, and it's funny that uh, this murder takes place in the Greystone Mansion because Doheny is the a little bit of an inspiration for "There Will Be Blood," the Paul Thomas Anderson movie. Not fully; it's loosely, loosely based on Edward Lawrence Doheny. And they even shot the bowling alley scene for that movie in the Greystone Mansion. Um, So that's just a fun fun bit of Hollywood history there. So Edward Lawrence was born in Wisconsin in 1856. And when he became an adult, he was trying to prospect and mine and find his fortune throughout the Southwest of the United States, specifically Arizona and New Mexico. That's where he met his business partner, Charles Canfield. And also he met a, a guy named Albert Fall who would later be involved with the Teapot Dome scandal, which we'll get to as well. Uh, E.L. Doheny moved to Los Angeles in the 1890s because his business partner had moved out first, Canfield. And E.L. kind of followed him. And in 1892, they discovered oil just north of downtown Los Angeles. And by 1900, they were making half a million to a million dollars a year just on that oil field. But like all other good oil men, they had bought other oil fields and they were growing very quickly. He even had uh, oil fields in a company in Mexico. And by the 1920s, his only rival was really John D. Rockefeller. So Doheny was one of the richest men in the world by the 1920s. And LA was his home. Like He was, he was an LA guy. And he did have a daughter in 1893, but she died very young. And then he had his son, Edward Jr., or as they called Ned, that's in our story. And Ned's mother, uh, she and E.L. actually got divorced. I think it was in the 1890s when they got divorced. But it, this is just a little little piece of information to keep in the back of your mind. She actually committed suicide uh, when he was still very young. She drank battery acid, which just uh, that does not sound like a fun way to go.
1: No, it wasn't to be the, my first choice. <laughs>
0: no, no, I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> um, so there's a lot of stories and details about Edward Lawrence Tohini. Uh, for the sake of our story, it's just safe to say he's very, 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 very rich and very powerful and lusted for more money and more land and more power. And Ned, his son, was kind of his pride and joy And like a lot of tropes about kids growing up with these super wealthy industrialist guys, uh, Ned was a bit spoiled and was heavy into drinking, even as a young man throughout his life, and basically just worked for his dad and had had it rather easy. Now, the mansion, Greystone, that we keep talking about, which I definitely recommend if you come to L.A., please go visit it. It is open. You can get not you can't go inside the mansion unless you're there for for a private event, but you can go to the grounds and it is amazing. I always I, I don't know if you had the same experience, Scott, but I kept thinking that E.L. Doheny built the mansion, but it was Ned, and I wasn't even aware of that until recently. Did you all? Did you think El built it? No, no, I hadn't heard that. Oh,
1: wait, wait, wait. No, it was built for his son for their wedding, wasn't it? Wedding. It was 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 a gift. Wedding present. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. So it was a gift for the the land was a gift, but El didn't design the home or have it built. So Ned had it built. El paid for it, obviously, (laughs) but uh, but it was Ned's kind of dream to have it built. And what they did. is when they, when they first decided to build this and they get the land as, as a wedding gift, uh, Ned actually hired a guy named Wallace Neff to design the home. And then for some reason, they didn't like the design. They fired him. They hired Gordon Kaufman, who designed a lot of other famous buildings and things around Southern California. And the Doheny sent people to Europe to find designs and furnishings. They even went to Europe themselves to like get inspired. And they would hire craftsmen from Europe to come to LA to build this house. And by the time it was done, it was, they had spent around $500 million in today's money. No one knows for sure. It could have been more than that. And Ned Doheny moved in with his wife, Lucy, their five kids in 1928, late 1928. It was the second largest house in California after only the Hearst Castle in San Simeo, which is another place everybody should go visit. That's so cool. Uh, And the mansion was 46,000 square feet. So just a little bit bigger than my house. Just a tad. Just (laughs) a very small amount. Uh, Now, while this home is being dripped up and built, uh, this little little tiny thing, a little tiny political event in US history, a thing called the Teapot Dome Scandal was going on, which is the biggest political scandal in the 20th century until Watergate in the 1970s. And every single one of our characters today is caught up in that scandal in one way or another. And I'm a big Downton Abbey fan. I came into it late. I actually just started watching it <laughs> this year. But they even talk about the Teapot Dome scandal in in one of the episodes of Downton Abbey. So that's fun. Uh, so, yeah, the, the scandal. Do you know much about the Teapot Dome scandal?
1: You know... I didn't retain it because I'm a Hollywood person. And it's like, (laughs) yep. no, me neither. I
0: I mean, I kind of read about it because of this story, because I honestly couldn't remember much about it at all. So it involves President Harding's presidency and basically a lot of corruption charges, bribery charges, specifically around Harding's secretary of the interior. A guy named Albert Fall, who I mentioned a little earlier, was friends with Uh, E.L. Doheny. They met when they were prospectors and miners in Arizona. And Albert Fall, the gist of it is, is he took money to give land leases to oil guys for super cheap. They didn't compete. They didn't take other bids. He just took federal land Hmm. and gave it to these oilmen, including E.L. Doheny for a place called Elks Hill, California. It was the Teapot Dome Scandals named after another area that was given to a different oil tycoon called the Teapot Dome in Wyoming, Uh, Mr. Doheny gave Albert Fall $100,000 cash for the the rights to the land. And the way that he paid for it, the way that he got the money to Albert Fall is Ned Doheny, his pride and joy son, and Ned's best friend slash secretary slash chauffeur, Hugh Plunkett, went to the East Coast, went to New York, they walked into a bank, they got $100,000 cash out of an account. They put it in a black briefcase or attaché case or something like that, and they took it to Albert Fall directly. And I think this is in 1921 when the payoff actually happened. So Ned and Hugh are people from the murder-suicide are the ones that actually handed the money over in the Teapot Dome scandal. So that's that's huge huge news, and I was reading old newspaper articles about the scandal. And one of them quoted as saying that Albert Fall was paid in quote unquote new bills, which I just love that imagery of like those crisp, clean, you know, dollar bills.
1: <laughs> and I like your I like the attache case. That sounds so that's, Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's what I, I really hope it was. And I hope they wore like gloves when they delivered it. I don't know. I would <laughs> do it up. Do it up, guys. Uh, so in 1927, the Supreme Court ruled that these leases on these lands were improper, and they they took the land back and gave it to the government. Um, and Albert Fall actually went to jail for taking these bribes. However, the rich guys that bribed Albert Fall, they, they didn't get, even get a slap on the wrist because that's the way the world works. And however, in 1929, it was still being investigated by the Senate because politics. So politicians are trying to use it to... all their different ways that politics do politicking and they were still bringing in Hugh and Ned for questioning later on uh, to testify more about the, the bribery. So Hugh Plunkett being an employee, a lot of people assume that he might've been set up to take a fall.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's what I've always understood. Yeah.
0: It's a very wise thought or theory. And I don't have an answer to any of that, but it's definitely worth keeping keeping in the back of your minds as you as you hear the story. Um, so Hugh Plunkett, again, just to kind of refresh for the night of the murder suicide, he's the one that supposedly shot Ned and then shot himself. And there's a story I came across that is actually there's a lot more to it than I initially read, but apparently the day or two before the murder suicide Lucy and Ned went to Hugh Plunkett's apartment and had what they were calling or I'll call an intervention. And they were like, you're acting weird. You're stressed. You are drinking too much. You're taking pills. You've got to get some help. You've got to go to like a sanitarium. You've got to go to a hospital. You got to calm down and get some help. And apparently and keep he
1: was, your mouth shut. <laughs> right. Right. And that's, that's the
0: secret to this is were they doing it to say, keep your mouth shut. And, uh, yeah, so that's going on in the background of all of this, and the the family doctor, Dr. Fishball, he after the murder suicide, he kept talking to the authorities about this, saying that Hugh was uh, taking, I think, ten times the recommended doses of whatever sort of pills he was taking at the time, and he also was having teeth pain and back pain and and all this kind of stuff. When you look into this, though, as much as I keep wanting to go kind of down that alley of like, keep your fucking mouth shut, Hugh. Look, go to a hospital. You're 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 going through something. Let's just get you away from this testimony. Uh, he actually was going through a divorce, and the doctor told authorities that the divorce was really having a huge impact on Hugh. So that's just uh, something because that's that's where again these rumors and things. There's like one side of like, oh, are the Dohenys doing all of this? to to make sure that they're protecting the Teapot Dome scandal? Or is Hugh actually really going through something? Uh, after I- experimenting, and not experimenting, after investigating a lot of crazy stories in my life, I kind of think there's probably truth to both of those. Like he probably was dealing with a lot in his divorce, but he was pros- also possibly very stressed about testifying and knowing what happened and knowing about the bribery, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera, et cetera.
1: Sure, I mean, I agree, but I, I think, I think more so because they were throwing him under the bus, and he was like, "What do I do here? Here's Ned, my friend, or however their relationship is," and they were like, "No, we got to get, we got to get out of this," and it's like the, the, yeah, well, you mentioned earlier, he's like the easy fall guy. Let's pin it yeah, on him. Absolutely, and, uh, and it does make sense.
0: Yeah, it really does. It all, it all kind of ties together. So. Yeah. And we already mentioned this. I I highlighted this in my notes because I really want to make sure uh, to say it. But if he actually goes to a sanitarium or a hospital or something to get help, he would not have to go testify. So that is that definitely lines up as like there's probably some influence upon him to go get help, not just for his own mental health, but also we don't want you to testify. And so all of this is leading up just days before the murder. And now we're going to go back to the night of the murder-suicide, and I'm going to fill in details that we didn't talk about earlier. And this is all just important to, to kind of understand the evening. And a lot of the information I found is from reading old newspapers, which you can't fully trust. However, I did find a book called Beverly Hills Confidential, A Century of Star Scandals and Murders by Barbara Schroeder and Clark Fogg and they actually were able to access Beverly Hills police records that no one had looked at in the 100 years of this case having been going on um and, and they weren't super like they didn't really definitively solve the case or anything but it definitely shed some light into some activity and more witness statements from that evening so yeah so here we are so it's February 16th 1929 it was a saturday and Hugh Plunkett, Ned and Lucy, and Dr. Fishball actually all had lunch together that morning or day or afternoon uh, at the Greystone Mansion. Now, according to the doctor's witness statements, he was there because they were trying to get Hugh, like we've already said, to go somewhere to get help. And they were all discussing it because Hugh didn't want to go get help. They leave lunch, uh, specifically the doctor and Hugh. Uh, they're leaving lunch. And on the way out, the Dohenies tell Dr. Fishbaugh, make sure we can contact you later because uh, Hugh's definitely going through something. So we just want to make sure like you're on call. We paid you just in case something happens. And the doctor's like, of course. So that night around nine, nine thirty, Hugh comes back to the Greystone mansion. And this is where our first little scene comes in, Scott. And what okay. I'll do is I'll read the narration or the, the scene descriptions And let's have you read Hugh Okay Hugh Plunkett rolls up to the gate of the Greystone Mansion In his car, it's around 9.30pm He cranks his window down as the guard Approaches Evening Mr. Plunkett, didn't expect you back tonight Hi Will The guard opens the gate and waves Hugh through Have a good one Moments later Hugh is walking to the entrance Of the mansion when he stumbles upon Night Watchman Ed McCarthy Uh, Mr. Plunkett, hello Evening,
1: Ed. I suppose they've all turned in for the night?
0: I don't think so. Not as far as I can tell, anyway. I see. Hugh nods goodnight to Ed and continues into the mansion. I find it really interesting that there were more witnesses than I ever expected because there was the night watchman, there was the gatekeeper, also there was a live-in like writing instructor who lived at the mansion that heard Hugh come in with his car and go to a like a storage closet where he kept fishing equipment, which is an interesting comment because I wonder if that's where a gun was. and because I don't know because I cannot find information about the gun in anything I've read because that's that's a big piece of evidence there in like whose gun was it? And I can never I cannot find anything about it being Hugh's gun or Ned's gun.
1: Um, and uh, Barbara and uh, Clark didn't have that information in their books?
0: No, no, they did not. So it's, yeah. So if anybody knows uh, whose gun that was, write in a studyofstrange at gmail.com. I would love to, to find that out. Now, when Hugh went into the mansion, he turned towards the East Wing where there were a couple of guest rooms. And now I have a question for you, Scott, because you've been inside these rooms. The stories talk about him closing the door. To the bedroom, but he was found in the hallway, in front of the bedroom, sort of in between the bedroom door and the hallway. So I think there's a door in the hall. Like, I think when they talk about him closing the door, it was a door from the hallway into like the main area of the house. Do you remember? The I guess well, the, up-
1: the room that inside the inside the place I mean I didn't have a map of the house from the you know of an overhead view of which room was which room mm-hmm. but the room that is commonly referred to as the murder room is actually a really modest little mm-hmm. tiny room I mean it, it's almost uh like they would say a servant's quarters or something like that. It's, it's not big. So they might have a, if I remember, they might have a little sort of sitting room in between the bathroom and the room itself. But, but otherwise, no, it's a very small room.
0: Yeah, it's not, it's not big. And what I wish, cause I wish I I've, I've been to the mansion a bunch of times. I've never been inside of it. So I really want to see what the setup is. Cause I have seen an overhead map of the home and it looks like there's two guest rooms across a hallway from one another. And then the hallway, the main hallway goes out to like a foyer or a bigger area. So I think there's a door that blocks off that hallway to the two guest rooms. And I think that's where Hugh slammed a door. Yeah, it's interesting, but yeah, it was not a big room. It was it was just a little guest room and you can actually pull up crime scene photos online. I'll provide some links in my show notes. So yeah, so Ed enters the home and heads to that that modest guest bedroom where apparently he would stay from time to time. It was kind of like his room if he's staying at the house. That Hugh, I think I said Ed a second ago. I meant Hugh. Hugh actually was in charge of the building of the Greystone mansion. So he not only works for Ned, he knows the house intimately because he was the one overseeing the building. He knew everybody that worked there. He had his own key. He would even sign checks in Ned's name during the building of the home. So he was that close with the family. Mm -hmm. And once he's in that room, as I mentioned earlier, he uh, contacts Ned. Ned comes down to talk to him. Ned is in slippers, a coat, his underwear, or like a robe. And they start talking, and they also start drinking. There is whiskey that was found in the room and whiskey glasses. Now, where things get different from the common story, remember that Lucy apparently hears a gunshot and then calls Dr. Fishball. According to all the witness testimonies, though, when Ned was talking to Hugh... Ned called Dr. Fishball. It was before a shot ever happened. He called Fishball because he said, Hugh's back. He's still having issues. He doesn't want to go to the sanitarium. Can you come up here and talk to him? So the doctor left. He was actually at a movie. He leaves the movie. He's paged and contacted. He comes up to the house. He arrives around 11 p.m. And there's some inconsistencies of what I've read at this point some of the reports say that basically the minute before he arrives at the house, there's a gunshot. Some say the gunshot happened right as he showed up at the house, the first one. So this brings us to our second scene which just takes some assumptions to that setup. So if you have that document open again, Scott.
1: I do... Give me a second. Where is it?
0: So it's around 11.30pm and Lucy opens the front door for Dr. Fishbog. Doctor, thank you for coming. They're in the east wing. Lucy and Doctor walk toward the guest rooms of the east wing, and suddenly there's a gunshot. They both freeze.
1: What was... Oh, no.
0: (laughs) They both run towards the direction of the gun. (laughs) They're running towards the guest rooms, and Lucy calls out as they run, Ned, Hugh! A door opens, and Hugh Plunkett emerges. He shouts
1: at Dr. Fishball and Lucy.
0: Oh, uh, do you mind reading Hugh here
1: as well? Oh, sure, okay. Yeah. Stay out of here. Back. Get back. Lucy
0: sees that Hugh is holding a revolver. Hugh, what's going on? Hugh goes back into the room and slams the door shut. The doctor and Lucy look at each other and they both slowly creep towards the door. Then, after a long moment of silence... Stay here. The doctor approaches the door.
1: It's Dr. Fishball. I'm
0: coming in. He opens the door and enters the guest room, leaving Lucy alone in the hallway. Good times. Good times. Now, remember, <laughs> the common story here is that the gunshot happened a solid 30 minutes or more before the doctor even came or the doctor was called after the first shot. It does not appear that that is the case. Again, we cannot fully trust all these witness statements for reasons we will talk about in a minute. But uh, but it does seem like all the news reports and all the witness statements have the gunshot happening after Dr. Fishbaugh has been called to the house.
1: There but can work. I ask you, Michael? Yeah, please, if Lucy's alone in the hallway, how can there be other witness statements? So all the
0: people that worked there. So the guard, the okay. gay guy at the 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 gate, the the workers, <laughs> the gay guy, the, the gay guy, <laughs> the gay guy at the gate. Which I did not mean to say. He could have been. I don't know. We have we have no clue. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, and also I will say this: we're, there's so much. There's so many problems, which is why so many rumors and things are around this case. Most of the the information the police went off of is from the family doctor. I don't even mm-hmm. think Lucy really talked to the cops much. I think they mainly talked to people that worked at the house and the doctor, and they left everybody else alone. And the doctor might have his own motives being the family doctor to one of the wealthiest people in the worry world at the time. Um, so the, yeah, just remember all that too. Uh, I am going to read a quote from the doctor, Dr. Fishball, from uh, one of his witness statements. So here it is. He said, I asked Mrs. Doheny to wait and opened the door to find Plunkett scraw- sprawled, there we go, sprawled on the floor in the hallway motionless. Blood was streaming from his head. When entering the guest room chamber, the body of Mr. Doheny Jr. was found lying sprawled on the floor near the foot of the bed, still breathing, but blood flowing profusely from both sides of his head. Mr. Doheny's pulse was still faintly perceptible. He was lying on his back and froth and blood were gurgling from his mouth. In order to relieve the breathing, he was turned over on his right side by me until the blood and froth cleared out of his mouth and throat after which he was turned back into his original position where he remained. He stopped breathing in about 30 minutes. After coming out of the guest room, I met Mrs. Doheny, who had been waiting, and told her that both were shot, that Plunkett was dead, and that Mr. Doheny was still breathing. She burst into tears and said, Oh, how horrible, and rushed to the telephone to call her sister. It was decided to call Mr. and Mrs. Doheny Sr. They arrived in about 20 to 30 minutes. Upon his arrival, they notified the police. So again they call family members they do not call the cops they call family members this uh, this also backs up my my thinking that i think they're correct and that the the first gunshot happened after the doctor was called because Ned was still breathing and i don't really have a reason to question that like why like he still died like i i don't really doubt that 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 situation happened where the doctor went in and he was kind of breathing and he tried to clear him And this is actually where one of the big misconceptions of the case happens. The doctor admitted to the police that night when the police showed up that he had moved the bodies, but Mm -hmm. only so much to check if they were alive and for him to clear Ned's like breathing passages and stuff of blood. He did not move the bodies. When you read about this, people are like, the bodies were moved. They were moved. And it's like, but how much were they moved? It turns out they were really just moved in those very kind of minor ways still very important (laughs) when you're investigating a crime scene uh but they were not like dragged around the rooms or the hallways or anything they were they were moved for the doctor
1: or by right yeah i mean you know it's I, i don't know how far ahead you want to get but it's commonly known back then especially that uh uh, you know, the law enforcement weren't the first people to be called. It happened with Marilyn. It happened with Lana Turner and, you know, Cheryl Crane and Johnny stomping out at the first person you call is the attorney or in Maryland's case, the doctor. <laughs> exactly. So uh, so yeah. it was, it, and Paul Byrne, uh, MGM scandal with Louis B. Mayer is another one. You know, you call, they come and clean up the scene at, and, uh, and then you call law enforcement and also law enforcement is notoriously crooked in Los Angeles. Yeah.
0: In Los Angeles, especially at that time. Yeah. And and yeah, this is where rumors happen, though. This is where a lot of these misconceptions of the case comes from is is those little details like calling the doctor and not calling the police and calling the family and uh, saying the body has been moved. And and by the time the police arrived, there were relatives in the house (laughs) there. The bodies had been obviously, like we Mm -hmm. said, moved, maybe not moved as much as some people like to say when they tell the story now. But the bodies had still been touched and moved. And Hugh was found with a cigarette in his left hand. It was burned all the way down and actually burned his fingers, which a lot of people point out is that's weird if you're committing suicide, where are you smoking and holding a cigarette? Um, The gun is commonly said that it was found under his body. It wasn't. It was found very close to his body, just sort of like on the right side of his body by his right hand. And also you read, there's this weird thing where you constantly read that Hugh Plunkett was shot in the back or the back of the head, which doesn't make sense if you're committing suicide. However, there are photographs of him at the morgue. He was shot in the temple on his right side,
1: so yeah, I'm looking at the crime scene photos yeah. right now, and it's I can kind of see the guns just to the right of him mm-hmm. and uh, and also a massive amount of blood blood uh, yeah uh, coming from the left side of his head. Well, that's where he's lying, so yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, and there are more, the morgue photos, I think I've only found maybe in the book that I read. I think that's the only place I saw Hugh's morgue Fogo. But yeah, you can see the bullet hole in his right temple, which would match up with him shooting himself with his right hand. So evidence is not super clear. Yes, he was shot in the temple and not in the back of the head. However, powder burns were found on Ned's head. Like the the, the gun was right up against his head. On Hugh, though, they did not find the same kind of powder burns, meaning he could have been shot from farther away. And that is a piece of evidence that they found that night that the newspapers did get a hold of right away. So that has been reported on since this case came out. However, Mm -hmm. police wrapped things up very quick. Two days done murder, suicide. That's what, you know, Mr. E.L. Doheny says. So that's what the police are going to say. And the newspapers claim that Hugh died because of, quote, unquote, sudden insanity. And they talked a lot about him going through all these psychological issues that he was going through, which, again, only come from the family doctor, pretty much, and the Doheny's. There is a a friend of Hugh Plunkett's that talked to a newspaper in Long Beach um who was a police detective, but not for Los Angeles. I don't believe, um, who did tell the police that, that he was dealing with a lot of problems because of his divorce and his fine wife, Billy, who he missed and he was drinking a lot. So yeah, there's, there's just weird stuff and I'm not sure how to actually navigate all of it, even telling it. <laughs> so after. Yeah,
1: no, no, you're right. I mean, it's, 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 it's very complicated and, uh, yeah, yeah, because people are scrambling to cover up <laughs> save their own asses, but um, yeah.
0: Yeah, and so after the after the note, after the murder suicide, uh Ned was buried at Forest Lawn, the famous c- cemetery in Los Angeles, which I I imagine you probably did tours there, did you not?
1: Oh, we never toured cemeteries, but I I go mm-hmm. through them a lot on my own. So, yeah. we never we never did that as an official thing.
0: Right. So yeah, Ned is m- buried at Forest Lawn Cemetery. And this very ornate, large structure.
1: And it's actually an altar from Italy that the Dohenies brought right. in.
0: Right. Yeah. Oh,
1: and you knew some, that. Okay.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. No. No. But I didn't write down what it was called, so I wasn't going to say it. So I'm glad you brought it up. Uh, <laughs> and Hugh Plunkett is mar- is buried uh, just maybe like a hundred feet away. It's just kind of like slightly down the hill, and a and obviously a not as ornate burial site. And this brings a lot of conjecture in its own right, because the Dohenies were very Catholic, super Catholic, donated tons of money to Catholic churches and causes and everything else. And the Dohenies had a family plot in a Catholic church cemetery that Ned was not buried in. He was buried at Forest Lawn. Mm. And so some people think that this points to a question of the evening that maybe Hugh did not kill Ned and then kill himself. Maybe it's the other way around. Maybe Ned killed Hugh and then killed himself because committing suicide, you're not supposed to be buried in a Catholic cemetery. So I do not know the answer for that. Obviously, like you said, he was buried in this you know, amazing altar that was brought over. So maybe that's the reason he was buried there. Maybe they couldn't have put that in at the, the Catholic church cemetery. But that is definitely one of the, the main questions that people bring up. It, it is point. odd. I
1: mean, I'm looking at the, the photograph. I took one of uh, of the Doheny Grave via, you know, with Hugh Plunkett's in, in view. And it's about yeah. six or seven rows from Plunk, uh, from the Doheny Grave, or uh, the memorial, amazing sarcophagus thing. And uh, and it does seem to me that that would mean they felt some sort of obligation to him because they easily could have said, no, we don't want him anywhere near there. Forest Lawn is a big cemetery. They could have mm-hmm. put Hugh Plunkett anywhere.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And now after this as well, the newspapers obviously catch wind of this story very quickly and they start reporting on it immediately because E.L. Doheny is a very Major uh, character in United States and the Teapot Dome ca- scandal is still going on. So the name is in the news all the time. And it, it is very inconsistent with it, which all the reports are very inconsistent on this case. I was going to write down a bunch of examples, but it was like so many. I was like, I'm not going to go through all these. But it's like some people claim that they were killed in Ned's bedroom, not the guest room. Some people claim that Ned invited Hugh up to his room to stay the night so he could calm down. I think that's where a lot of the rumors and speculation that they were lovers comes from is some of these newspaper reports that reported that right away. Um, There's also inconsistencies. About what Hugh was going through. And again, we have these stories that the doctor was called after the first shot and he was at the mood. Like there's just so many inconsistencies of the newspaper reports that it, it just gets it makes a complicated situation even more complicated. I think that's my point.
1: Yeah, the, the, you know, the insinuating that it was a a gay thing, uh, it it spells a lot of things out, because uh, it was on the ground floor, and I'm sure Mm that the Dohenys were upstairs, Mm -hmm. and Ned Doheny was in his, you know, pajamas and underwear, uh, and they were in this nondescript room, you know, just off you know, off the main hallway. Cause I was looking at the pictures again and it appears that, uh, Ned was killed in the, uh, main room, but there's not a hallway from, you know, the, from the main hallway. It's like straight oh, okay. off the hallway. So it looks as if, uh, uh, Hugh Plunkett's lying in between in the doorway of the main hallway. Name. So yeah. it's not, yeah. it's not within the room.
0: Interesting. So I, yeah, and and everybody out there if you're interested in this, pull up the crime scene photos. They they are you know, if you if you're okay looking at stuff like that because it is gory. And, <laughs> but um yeah, it is interesting to see the layout and to see that he is in his robe and his underwear. Ned is in his robe and underwear. They've been drinking because there is whiskey in a whiskey glass next to Ned. Um they were in uh, yeah. So I the rumors about the lover thing, I was trying to pinpoint where that started. Because it is not in the newspaper articles of the time, and that is because newspapers didn't really do—they didn't really report on that in the 1920s. So you know there might be little secret innuendos of things.
1: Can I can I point one more thing out? Sorry, Michael. Please, please. Um, I, as I was going over my my pictures, next to Hugh Plunkett is his mother. Now, generally, if people are going to be buying a grave at, they call it at need, uh, it's the next available spot. But clearly the Dohenies, maybe they own a lot of property. Maybe they own a lot of that property on the hill. But uh, his mother, Plunkett's mother, died in 1931, and she is buried next to him. Next to him. So it would have been, there would have been a line of plots that were owned by one person. yeah. Yeah. And something else, it just came to mind. I think there are more Dohenys on that hilltop, not just Ned at the very top, but I think there are other Doheny relatives uh, yeah. in the vicinity. So I think it's quite likely that Dohenys just owned that whole hill and provided so, the graves.
0: So I'm gonna I'm gonna go a little out of order for what my notes were here. I'm gonna share my own personal theory and. I've changed my mind multiple times so if something comes up even today I'm happy to always change my mind about this kind of stuff. I think there was a cover up that night. I don't think it's who shot who or why people were shot necessarily. I think I think Hugh shot Ned and then shot himself. I think he was going through a lot. I think it was a combination of divorce plus pain plus the testimony and so I don't think the murder was covered up because the Doheny's didn't want Ned to be known as committing suicide, because a lot of people think the Doheny's just don't want their son to sound like he killed somebody and committed suicide. I actually think it happened the way the police say it happened, which is Hugh killed him. I think the cover up just comes from the fact that the Doheny's were worried this would affect the testimony, the, the scandal, the bribery. I think they just wanted that to be open and shut, you know, like. This is a Hughes crazy man. He's he was going through a lot. He's had emotional breakdowns, and obviously doing a lot because of his divorce. So that's what happened. Yeah, does that does that make sense? And and what you're saying about the graves is the reason I wanted to bring this up because, like, if there's other Dohenies there, that means they were. There's no big conspiracy around Ned committing suicide. Does that make sense?
1: I suppose so. I can't. I don't see. To me, I cannot fathom that the Dohenies had empathy <laughs> for anybody. You know, <laughs> I, I, it's like, oh, if you killed my son, come here, be buried with us. It doesn't make sense to me. I feel it was some kind of obligation to them or, or guilt oh, to those people oh. uh, to provide for them. Uh, oh, I didn't it see. You killed my son. Here, here's a grave. It doesn't. That doesn't.
0: That, you know, yeah, that is, I see, I didn't think about it that way. That is really interesting. That is, so do you have any, do you have a theory on this at all? Have you, has anything changed your mind about anything or given you ideas today?
1: I, I, you know, personally, uh, you know, I'm not desperate to believe in a sexual scandal and I don't necessarily, I wouldn't consider it a sexual scandal, but mm-hmm. I, I think that Ned possibly had some sort of relationship, very close, if not sexual, very, very close relationship to Hugh Plunkett. I think Hugh Plunkett was getting uh, thrown under the bus by the Dohenies and he was desperate because his personal life was falling apart. And probably on that night, he, he just like, I'm fed up. I got to talk to Ned now. And, and it was trying to, it was damage control uh, by the Dohenys uh, to, to, yeah. Have that, have him eradicated, uh, and maybe that's why they feel guilt and and put him put him there. But uh, going through the f- murder suicide, I don't know. It doesn't. It, it, it makes more sense that they got rid of him and felt a little. But it, that's a very public way to do that too. So yeah. that doesn't really make yeah. sense. Yeah. Uh, but I, it was being that their son was, you know, they tried to hang it on Plunkett and provided a space for him. Yeah, it's a bit, and his mother. It's yeah. a bit. It's it makes it certainly confuses things further. It,
0: It does, but you you hit upon something that I think is very clear, but it's still worth saying, which is the murder scene. Even if things were moved or police influenced or all those kind of things, it was a highly emotional scene. Like it was not, you know, it's not a setup to get rid of Plunkett or anything else. Like there's a lot of emotion went into the events of that night, in my opinion. It doesn't seem Mm -hmm. like this is a pre-planned situation. Something came to a head that evening. And yeah. Yeah. No, I'm glad I had you on because I actually really like everything you just said about it. So (laughs) I'm just going to latch on (laughs) to all of your theories from now on, Scott. Um, (laughs) So there's one more thing I want to read that I found really interesting. So Raymond Chandler, the famous, famous author of a lot of great noir mystery books, his famous detective, Philip Marlowe, uh, talks about a case called the Cassidy case in the book, The High Window. And this is a a fictional account of the Doheny case. It was inspired by the Doheny case. So this is uh, Philip Marlowe in that book. I'm going to make a point, and it's an important point. Just look at the Cassidy case. Cassidy was a very rich man, a multimillionaire. He had a grown-up son. One night the cops were called to his home and young Cassidy was on his back on the floor with blood all over his face and a bullet hole in the side of his head. His secretary was lying on his back in an adjoining bath- bathroom with his head against the second bathroom door leading to a hall, and a cigarette burned out between his fingers on his left hand, just a short burned out stub that had scorched the skin between his fingers. A gun was lying by his right hand. He was shot in the head, not a contact wound. A lot of drinking had been done. Four hours had elapsed since the deaths, and the family doctor had been there for three of them. Now, what did you do with the Cassidy case? Breeze, which is a a detective he's talking to, says, murder and suicide during a drinking spree? The secretary went haywire and shot young Cassidy. I read it in the papers or something. Is that what you want me to say? You read it in the papers, I said, but it wasn't so. What's more, you knew it wasn't so, and the DA knew it wasn't so, and the DA's investigators were pulled off the case within a matter of hours. There was no inquest. But every crime reporter in town and every cop on every homicide detail knew it was Cassidy that did the shooting, that it was Cassidy that was crazy drunk, that it was his secretary who tried to handle him and couldn't and at the last tried to get away from him but wasn't quick enough. I know it's a fictional inspiration, but it's interesting that he proposes here that uh, what would be the Ned in that story shot mm-hmm. his friend first mm-hmm. and then may have committed suicide after that, and that's as much as I I don't fully believe that I wouldn't be surprised if one day we were able to piece this together and that was true, you know.
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a, it's very interesting, and and it again every theory makes sense. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the problem when all this
0: stuff gets, uh, you know, not investigated well and all this, you know, craziness happens around it. It makes it really tough. Now the, the Greystone mansion, uh, because that is a huge character in this case and just a place that I love. Uh, it is worth noting that Lucy continued to live in it. She got remarried a year later. Mm-hmm. She lived there for, for a, a very long time. Uh, then she ended up moving in basically across the street. She had another house built in the area. And it went through a few other owners and then the city of Beverly Hills bought it in 1965 and they opened it to the public in I think 1971 they opened it up as a park called Greystone. Yeah, and that's that's kind of it. There's so many other details of this case that I feel like I'm I'm having to skip over but just for the sake of trying to tell it <laughs> in a slightly right. entertaining manner. Um, do you have any other questions or thoughts on this before we finish up?
1: I wish you know. I'm sitting here scrambling around to to in my files because I'm looking at the uh, a map that I got from. No, it's not that one. I I, I went through the the mansion. On, they had a reenactment, a very loosely based reenactment of the the Doheny scandal called yeah. The Manor. It was a That's play right. that they did in the house. And yeah. I, I saw that a couple of times too. And that was very, very trippy to be uh, in the rooms. Although they'll use all the rooms except for the one where the murder <laughs> happened because that would be disrespectful. You know, yeah. that is so typical. So typical people. But, uh, but, you know, it just... It's a great story. It's a, and and what's kind of fun is that the 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 mansion itself has been used, you know, in horror movies and things like that. So it just lends more uh, more fun to the story, and it's it's far enough removed that it is a fun story yeah, to, uh, yeah. to theorize. But uh, but you know, it just it's unfortunate that these two guys you know, ended the way they did. And it has to do with money. I'm sure mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. all boils down to money. Absolutely. Ultimately, but, mm-hmm. uh, but you know, as you say emotion, I think their relationships, be it sexual or uh, you yeah. know, platonic, but certainly very deep. Uh, um, a- absolutely. You know, that yeah. Certainly contributed to it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And it can't be easy to be, again, this is basically like a glorified assistant, but it's also probably your best friend. And that is a weird weird relationship to be in where someone has the sort of the money and business power over
1: such a good friend
0: or or boyfriend you know whatever their relationship was Yeah 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 I mean they clearly
1: didn't they didn't ban him from the property you know he, no, he they no. they waved him in and he went yeah. right in and got to the intercom or whatever mm-hmm. so so he it wasn't they didn't see him as a as a as a threat at that point so that's that's just more of a more fuel to the more gossipy end of things.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I wish investigators would have taken a little more time. I have so many episodes that I've done where at the end of it, I'm like, I just wish the police just spent a little more time
1: <laughs> on this. Yeah. I mean, it was it's also new ahead. back then because West Hollywood wasn't incorporated yet. no. It was no. a no man's land of, yeah. of liquor, bootlegging, and then and then Beverly Hills, which was orange groves and lima bean fields at that point. So it, it and I think the only thing within a mile of the Beverly Hills Hotel, aside from probably Greystone stone was mm-hmm. was orange groves and and so so they were you know that was it was quite out in the woods at that point i think it was before pickford and fairbanks even built uh pick fair yeah so yeah. um it was it was uh it's a different time it was it was and i think
0: pickford lived down off wilshire at that time if i remember correctly Anyway, that's not that's not important. Just me thinking of LA because I love LA Hollywood history. Um, Well, thank you so much, Scott, for doing this. Do you want to tell people where they can find your digital tours or your podcast or anything else? You want to give any plugs? Sure. Well,
1: we had um, since we since COVID and we you know we shut down the business completely. Everything that we had uh, on display in our museum, including like the man Jane Mansfield car and and May West dentures and all sorts of fun things, <laughs> everything's been put into storage until we find a new home. So uh, we've left Los Angeles. Now I live near Palm Springs, and I completely do all my work on YouTube now. So Mm -hmm. if you look up dearly departed tours on YouTube, uh, instead of taking people around in my van and pointing cool things out, uh, which a lot of them are now gone from LA, (laughs) you know, they, they slowly, but surely so many people, so many things are being wrecked and torn down. Uh, I do everything virtually. I can go all over the world and, and show people. So that's, that's what I do.
0: Yeah. Uh, do you know much about the Robert Blake, uh, when he when he shot, was it his wife? Yeah,
1: Bonnie Lee wife. Bakley. No, yeah. it wasn't his wife. Well, no, no, actually, they were married. I think because she was yeah. pregnant, or she she had the daughter that. Yeah, <laughs> that's a, a story. Was. I,
0: yeah, that's a story I want to I want to know more about. Mainly because uh, where that happened is a restaurant that myself and my family go to at least once a month.
1: Yeah, B- Bonnie Lee Bakley. You know, people were scrambling for alibis at that point. So many people wanted her gone, uh, and she was a piece of work. She was yeah. a piece of work. <sighs>
0: yeah, yeah, I couldn't imagine. Uh Well, cool. I I didn't mean to go on a tangent there. I just like, I like your work and I like that, you know, a lot of those things. So I really appreciate you coming on and providing the information and, and joining me on this weird story of, uh, the Doheny murder suicide at Greystone.
1: Well, thanks for asking. I will, uh I will uh, look forward to talking to you in the future. Thanks. I appreciate you asking. This has been fun to sort of stretch my tourism muscles again, as it were.
0: Yeah. No, it was. I, I love that you had files to look at. I love that you oh. wanted to see the scenes. Yeah.
1: You know, there was something else that that was interesting, I think, to mention about the mansion. So uh, it became, well, it was actually like a monastery for a while. There were nuns living in it. Yeah. And and then it became the home of the American Film Institute for a while. And that's Mm -hmm. when it really went to hell. You know, the students were like carving up the banisters. I couldn't imagine. Yeah. Yes. So so then the city, city got it. I don't know in what particular order but uh, but they they have to open it legally as a museum to keep it you know under their uh, yeah. under some sort of charitable foundation so you you know if you keep your eyes open they do a, an art uh, an art thing um, designer thing mm-hmm. uh, at least they used to every mm-hmm. year where there would be a dozen designers and they each designer designed a particular room including the murder room yeah. so there you can get in there sometimes and they do that reenactment play well loose reenactment play called the manor so um, definitely I would I would recommend checking out you know signing up at their website to get uh, to get updates but that that's a really interesting you know story about the nuns living there which you know it makes sense because they were such a Catholic family and then ended up you know, just being in the city. So, and moved in. Used in so many cool movies. I mean, so
0: many movies. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Just it was so many. Part of me would when I was researching this, I was like, I'm going to list all the cool movies. I was like, no, people can just look it up. Just no, it's it's in a lot. Uh, you will recognize it from so many things and TV shows. I think and the an interior too. That
1: very in. distinctive checkerboard hallway. Mm-hmm. I've yeah. seen in. I see it in so many movies. Yeah, so, yeah. They're they're obviously open to that. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think
0: people, you can get married there. you they're, they're, They do a lot of things and it's definitely worth checking out. I need i need to do it more. And actually, I think I'm going to go tomorrow morning. We're recording this the week before Christmas. And I may go tomorrow morning just to like film some videos and stuff with my son. and Because I haven't been there in probably four or five years. I haven't visited. So uh, I want to go back and check it out now after I've been reading all about it.
1: Yeah. Take your map and you can probably peek in the windows the window. of the room. Yeah.
0: That's a good idea. That is a very good idea. All right, well thank you so much Scott. I will talk to you soon. Thank you for tuning in and happy holidays. This episode comes out 2 days after the Christmas holiday. I hope everybody's holiday season is glorious and amazing and you're spending it with people that you love and enjoy. I want to correct and and or mention two details about tonight's episode. One, I kept saying the guest bedroom was in the east wing. Looking at the map again, I think it's on the west side of the house, so I may have just been flipped around in my brain, so I apologize about that. Also, I never got to mention, because there's a lot of strange details about the night of the murder, I forgot to mention that they never found fingerprints on the gun, and there's various kind of anecdotal stories around that. I don't know if that helps push one theory or the other, but it's definitely strange. So that'll do it. Thank you for tuning in again. Thank you for your support for this show. I started this just a handful of months ago. It's been a dream of mine to have a podcast like this. I cannot thank you enough for the support, and I'm really looking forward to... To more a Study of Strange in the new year. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review. Follow us on Instagram at A Study of Strange. Check out our Patreon, which you can find on our website, a And feel free to email me. Uh comments, notes, ideas, also UFO stories. I'm gonna to I'm still compiling personal UFO stories for a future, future episode. Um, so if you have a UFO story, please email me a studyofstrange of Strange at gmail.com. Again, happy holidays. Thank you and good night.